everybody. Welcome to Valley Church. Welcome to Church Online. If you are here on our campus, traditions, welcome. I love that you're around uh, Maple Knoll Cafe. Let me hear you cheer. I'm so excited that we get to worship together today. And for those of you worshiping online, whether you're at home, on a commute, on vacation, thanks so much for clicking in. I wish you were here. I wish you could see the cars out in front of our church. We're having a Valley Classic car show so soon. Uh, and they've got some cars out front that my kids absolutely love. You'll have to come by to the Valley Classic car show. It's going to be amazing. But enough about cars. Let's talk about light bulbs, right? I was at Walmart not too long ago shopping for light bulbs. There are so many light bulbs, so many variations, shapes, sizes, colors, brightness levels. It's incredible. Some of these like light bulbs have Wi-Fi built into them so that you can just tell Alexa, turn on my living room. Did Alexa do that? I don't know. If you're watching in your living room, maybe that just happened. Uh, but you know, there are light bulbs, $2.88 that light up an entire room. Or you could spend like $28 for a light bulb that lights up an entire room. There's so many variations. And as I'm just standing there, looking at this wall of, of light bulbs at Walmart, I just start gazing. Like I am dumbfounded, just looking and waiting for some light bulb to scream my name, whichever light bulb uh, was best for me. And as I'm pondering my lighting choices, I actually could hear a couple behind me. They weren't too far. I mean, like really close, not too far away, uh, right behind me, looking at the wall of light bulbs behind me. And they were talking about everything I was thinking about. They were saying out loud everything I was thinking, except they were using a little more colorful language, words I can't say at church. And so I had to look. And when I turned around, it was Pastor Quentin and Ruth. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, but it was a young couple that I had never, ever met before. And I just started engaging. I just wanted to have a conversation about light bulbs with this, this young couple, uh, a guy who was wearing more leather than any human should actually own. And, uh, and the woman he was with was, was very pregnant, I thought. So what did I do? What did I naturally do? I was really excited for them. Uh, I walked over to her. I put my hand on her stomach and I said, when are you due? Right? Due for what? Have, okay, that didn't happen. But you can imagine why it didn't happen. Because I'm a very smart man. I'm not walking up to a woman and asking her when she's due. You know why? Because the way we approach people matters. The way that we approach people with conversations, it absolutely matters. I didn't touch her stomach. In fact, can we just pause for a second? Why do people do that? Why do people walk up to women who are pregnant and they put their hands on their stomach? That just kind of creeps me out. It's a little weird. Uh, I don't want anybody rubbing my belly. I'm sure a pregnant woman doesn't want anybody rubbing her belly either. And you might be sitting there thinking, but it's the miracle of life. It's a baby. Like you, you're just so amazed. I'm like, great. Just wait a few months and ask her to hold the baby. You don't need to rub anybody's belly unless it's yours. And that's probably fine. But uh, I'll just tell you this. I remember one day, uh, somebody came up to my wife when she was pregnant. They just, this guy, he, this guy just came up. He just put his hand on her stomach. I'm like, what are you doing? In my head, I'm thinking, my wife can see that I don't like it. And my eyes get big and she's like, calm down. 
down. And I'm just like, it's not okay, right? Like, that's not okay. He's like, is the baby kicking? I'm like, I'm going to be kicking real soon. Uh, but anyways, I'm, I'm at Walmart and I'm seeing this couple and, and I just want to have a conversation. We've already kind of locked eyes. We're engaging a little bit as we're talking about light bulbs. And, and, and here's what I actually said. I said, man, there's so many choices. I'm not even sure what light bulb I'm going to get. Uh, and, and the guy, he looks at me and he goes, he goes, yeah. He says a, a few words that I can't repeat here with you guys. He says, I've never been so angry at how many choices I have at light bulbs. And, and I just was trying to make conversation and I wondered if she was pregnant. I said, do you guys have any kids? And, and she just looked at me and she said, one on the way. And I was like, that's so awesome. I was just trying to be so excited for them. And uh, I'm asking him, I'm like, hey, how long have you guys been together? And he says, well, we're not married, but, but we're thinking about it, right? We're thinking about getting married. Uh, you know, that's my baby and she's my girl. And I'm just standing there engaged in conversation, being as encouraging and as polite as I could possibly be. And then they asked me the question, I said, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor and I'm here for your soul. No, I didn't say that, but I did tell them that I was a pastor, that I worked at a church. Uh, and, and the conversation continued, like just trying to be relational, trying to be encouraging, trying to be present with somebody who was going through something that I was going through. You and I, we just have to be so radically intentional with the way that we approach people. Our approach, it matters. You know, have you ever said something and, and you actually knew what you were saying and, and, you know, what you wanted to have happen? It was the right thing. It was the right thing. It was the right way. But for some reason, that conversation just didn't go the way that you planned. It didn't go the way that you expected. Chances are, it's because of the way that you approached that situation or that conversation. Approach matters. It matters when we're talking to a boss or a supervisor. It matters when we're talking to a teacher or a professor. It matters when we're talking to our friends. It matters when we're talking to our kids. It matters when we're talking to our spouse. And our approach, it absolutely matters when you and I are talking to people about our faith, when we're sharing Jesus. You know, today, in Acts chapter 14, we are going to make our way through a passage where we meet two very, very different groups that Paul and Barnabas, as they're on this missionary journey, interact with. Uh, their approach, the way that they handle this is so wise. It's so good. And you and I, today, we get to eavesdrop on their every move. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're in uh, Iconium and they enter in. And uh, as they enter, they go to the Jewish synagogue as usual. I love that. Maybe highlight that or underline that in your Bible. This is the first place they go. They are taking the gospel first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, first to the Jews. Then they're going to take the gospel to, to the Greeks. And this is just what they do. It's what they do. And then when they were there in the synagogues, as usual, they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. This is amazing. I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit was used Paul and Barnabas. I mean, they had such a boldness, such a, a clarity. I mean, they weren't, they weren't bashful. You know, that word bold, they were such an, uh, speaking in such a way that, you know, people came to know Jesus. Like they were putting their faith in action. 
you know, they might have felt like confrontational words to some people, but they were actually words of revelation to many. It revealed the person of Jesus. It revealed who Jesus truly is. And right there in the passage, many, many believed. I love that. You know, this isn't the same crowd that they were preaching to in chapter 13, but it's a, it's a very, very similar setting, a, a similar scenario. And Pastor Quentin said this last week, and what was true in that passage is true here. People are more ready than you and I realize. They're just ready, so many, to hear the gospel. They're so ready for an invitation. Some people are just waiting for you to invite them to go somewhere. Maybe uh, have a conversation, maybe coffee, maybe even actually to church. I remember being a senior in high school and I went to everything that I possibly could that was connected to church. I mean, I was going to church uh, Sunday morning. I was going Sunday night. I was going to uh, Sunday school. I was going to midweek youth programs. Like I was just in, I was all in. And I remember driving down the street one day, seeing this kid. I knew this kid was rough around the edges. He was a bit of a bully. He, you know, just, he was just a hard person. And I don't know what compelled me to do this other than, you know, God working in and through me. He was working on me. And I just was like, I'm going to pull over and I'm going to ask this guy if he wants to go to church with me. And uh, I pulled over. I rolled down my window. I said, hey, you want to go? You, hey, you want to uh, go to church with me? And he's like, because he was kind of rough and he looked rough and he was like, Okay, so he just jumped into my car and he and I, we went to church. We went to church right there together and he loved it. He loved it. And like, this is the last person on my list that I was expecting would say yes to an invitation. I knew I had to extend the invitation. It was way out of my control what he would say. Look at verse two in chapter 14. Uh, but the unbelieving Jews, they stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. They poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas. And I'm not really sure what this looked like, but, but I imagine it didn't take much to convince a crowd. I mean, if you're trying to stir up a crowd uh, and everybody kind of has, uh, uh, you know, the same mentality and they're not quite sure what's going on, they're just going to join your mob. I mean, a lot of people are just so quick to, to join an angry mob. And so uh, when I look at this passage, I mean, it just reminds me of how the Jews were able to stir up the crowds against Jesus. I mean, this crowd was listening, but they were quick to flip. You know, everything Paul and Barnabas were teaching, it, it just to these non-believing Jews, it just seemed like fake news. They had been believing something for so long. They had been looking at the scriptures, the, the, the book of law, the teachings of Moses, and they had been waiting for this Messiah. They just didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so this news, this good news of Jesus, they just didn't accept it. And so they leveraged all they knew about the scriptures to turn the crowds against Paul and Barnabas. So what did Paul and Barnabas do? Check this out. So, they stayed there a long time. Like, would you do that if you knew everybody hated you? If you knew that the mobs were against you, the, the crowd was so angry. I mean, we would just probably just go. We would just pick up, jump in our car and get out of here. But, but not Paul and Barnabas. They, they stayed there for, for quite a long time. Um, keep reading. Look at this. And, and they spoke boldly for the Lord who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs in wonders, these guys were doing some incredible things. This was their faith working. They were, they were not just talking about Jesus. They were like living examples of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you look at how long they stayed and the words that they said, church, don't miss this. This is, this is grace 
and grit in action. This is grace and grit. I mean, they were sticking it out. They were speaking boldly. And by the way, that doesn't mean that they were rude. It doesn't mean that they were brash. It just means that they were confident and willing to say what people maybe weren't willing to hear. So they kept doing it. They kept going. You know, they were willing to risk comfort and risk safety to communicate truth and grace to people who were not yet following Jesus. It's so frustrating when people are against you simply because they don't like you. I can't imagine what Paul and Barnabas were really going through, but they, they stuck it out. They stayed there for a long time. It wouldn't have been easy for, for them to, to, to be there. It would have been super easy for them to turn their backs and to just leave. So what did Paul and Barnabas do? Uh, they stayed because they knew this. People can't say yes to Jesus if you don't give them the opportunity to say no. Like sometimes we're so afraid of rejection we're so afraid of what we might lose or what's at risk that, you know, we don't even extend an invitation. We've never asked that neighbor out for coffee because we don't want to be known as the religious weirdo neighbor. Or we're afraid of what people will think about us at school, in college, or, or in the office. Like people don't have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus if you never give them an opportunity to say no. And I know some of you are thinking, but Brandon, these crowds, these non-believing Jews, they've already said no, right? So isn't it okay to go because they've already said no? I'll tell you this. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that my first response wasn't my only opportunity. Like I am so thankful that there were people in my life who loved me people in my life who, who walked with me, who went on a journey with me, who, who were patient with me. They didn't give up on me. And my guess is that the same is true for you. People just need time. Some people just need time and your loving presence. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they, they were very intentional with their time and their approach. You and I, we've got to be intentional because it's not our natural tendency to love people and to see people the way Jesus sees and loves people, especially when those people turn their back on you and turn a mob against you. Look at, look at verse four. But the people of the city, they were divided. Do you know what that means? That means some people said yes, while many said no. You know, some sided with the Jews and, and others with the apostles. People said yes. I think that is so amazing. Like through the simple act of obedience, the crowd was divided. It's, it's not a bad thing that everybody didn't come to know Jesus. I mean, okay, you and I know that that's, that would be amazing. But this is so much better than nobody because we didn't take the risk. You know, when, when you and I, when we share the hope of Jesus with people who are not yet followers, not everybody's gonna say yes. Not everybody, but some will. Along the journey, some will. People can't say yes if you don't give them the opportunity to say no. You know, their love for Jesus, it was, it was clear. Uh, they were bold and eventually opposition, it just rose to a point where they couldn't stay there any longer. Look at verses five and six. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stoned them, Paul and Barnabas, they found out about it and they fled. They knocked the sand off of their sandals. They kicked the dirt off their shoes and they were like, we got to get out of here. This takes a huge amount of wisdom to know when to stay 
and when to go. And here, they knew that it was time to go. And so they went on to Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derby, and to the surrounding countryside. You know, they did all they felt that they could do through the power of the Holy Spirit working in them and through them. They knew at this point that it was time to go. So they moved on and, and they uh, arrived at, at Lystra uh, and they, they continued. I love this verse seven. They continued preaching the gospel. When they got there, they didn't stop. It wasn't like a new town. We can take a break. Hey, let's get a, let's get an Airbnb. Let's get a cottage. We'll just kind of hang out for a while. It's like, no, we're here. You know, we're going to do what we were designed to do. These guys were all about unleashing hope to those who need Jesus. I love this. So they moved on. And when they arrived at Lystra, what they see is they see a man who was sitting without strength in his feet. Uh, He had never walked and he had been lame from birth. Like here we got uh, one of many times where we see the the apostles have an opportunity to serve in a very unique way. Uh, He listened, this man who was sitting, who had been lame from birth, had just been sitting as Paul spoke. He's been listening while sitting. And after looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, he just shouted, he said, stand up on your feet. And this guy, he jumped up and he began to walk around. Are you kidding? This is so incredibly awesome. This guy was listening. Remember, they didn't stop preaching the gospel. When they entered into town, that's what this guy was listening to. And this is an incredible moment. And, and for us today, something like this, when we see this in scripture, it can become a little intimidating because, you know, we're soon going to see that the crowds responded. I mean, they rose, they celebrated uh, at what was just done. It's awesome. Miracles are awesome. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't get carried away by the fact that this was a miracle. It was a miracle and it is awesome. But sometimes as people who really uh, aren't seeing miracles today, like we are in scripture, we can be like, oh, well, that's Old Testament. That's New Testament. That's not for me. I'm telling you, don't dismiss what Paul did here because you aren't performing miracles. You know, the truth is you and I, we can do miraculous things each and every day. Our faithfulness and obedience triggers miracles all the time. When my family first moved to Des Moines, uh, my wife went to the mall one day. She went to the mall and she came back. And when she walked into the house, she was, she was just wide-eyed and had to tell me a story. She was like, you're not going to believe what happened to me at the mall today. And I mean, like, I'm just like, I brought my family to Des Moines. I hope that we're having, I mean, everything had been great up to this point. We had only been here for, for a few days. And I'm in my head thinking, what? This, uh, is this going to be bad? Am I going to get angry? I said, uh, I said Carrie, what, what, what happened? She said, I pulled into the mall and I'm driving in the parking lot. And I see a parking space that I want. And I'm thinking, oh. Did you wreck the car? Did somebody run into you? Are you okay? These are all the things that are going on in my head. And she says, when I got to the parking space, there was somebody coming toward me and they were coming for that same exact parking space. And we just sat there. And she said, Brandon, the other person got there first. So I just waited to give them the spot. Do you know what that other driver did? And I'm just like, I don't know, but I need to know. She said, the other driver looked at me and went. And I was like, what? She's like, Brandon, 
She gave me the spot. It was the best spot at the mall. She just gave it to me. She got there first and she just gave it to me. She goes, people in Iowa are so nice. And I'll tell you this. I I don't look at that as a miracle. My wife doesn't see that as a miracle. But I'm telling you, when you have a couple people, you know, moving to Des Moines, Iowa from the Chicago area, kindness is a miracle. And in that moment, that kind of just stands out to me that, that we had a moment of celebration and encouragement because of somebody else's generosity and kindness. You know, God may actually be calling you to a simple act of obedience that could be seen by somebody else as, as God doing something miraculous in their life. Your, your simple act of obedience may be someone else's miracle. God calls us to be faithful each and every day. There are new opportunities that present itself to us each and every day. And the way that you and I handle it, you know, maybe, maybe is part of a chain reaction of God's blessing in somebody else's life. You and I may never know. That's what's the hard thing for us is that through our obedience, we don't always see the reward. And you and I may never know the full extent of a single act of obedience on this side of eternity. And I got to tell you, that's okay. It's okay. Besides the fact that a miracle was just performed, what was happening was Paul and Barnabas were in town. They were sharing the gospel and, and their ministry in this new town, it started by, by loving somebody who had a need. You know, this approach is a little different than the approach that they took in Iconium at the beginning of the chapter. You know, when they were there, they first went where? To the temple, as they usually did. They went there to speak to religious, God-fearing Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. You know, here in Leicester, this is a town filled with people who don't know who Jesus is. These people aren't God-fearers. They don't know who the one true living God is. They, they've never heard of the Holy Spirit. They, they, they don't know they don't know all of the scriptures, the Old Testament, the books of law. They don't have any idea who Moses is. But they did fear gods, you know, the gods of Greek mythology. Look at verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done in healing this lame man, they shouted, saying in a Lyconian language, they just start changing their language. They're ready to celebrate and they just kind of, they, they just kind of go into Lyconian and, and they say this in their own language, the gods have come down to us in human form. You know, we know that the, the people in, in Lystra, they, they can understand the language of Paul and Barnabas. They know what they're saying. They know what they're speaking. They're able to speak a language because the lame man who, who was lame from birth, who probably had little education, like he was able to understand what Paul was saying. So this is just out of the blue. But Paul and Barnabas, don't, they don't speak like Conian. So they have no idea what is being said. But all of a sudden, something is happening. And Paul and Barnabas are, are not quick to pick up what's happening because of the language barrier. Uh, but they didn't start praising God. This crowd didn't start praising God. They got, they got excited. They, they started doing something. They're not praising God. The crowd actually praised Paul and Barnabas as gods. Look at 12 and 13. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker the priest of Zeus, uh, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls, uh, wreaths. And they brought them to the gate because he intended with the crowd 
to offer sacrifices. Paul and Barnabas were like, I don't know what you're saying, but I can see what is happening. You see, these Greeks, they were all about their Greek mythology and the crowds are responding the way that they're responding because they had believed that sometime before this, two gods, Zeus and Hermes, had come to earth and only two people were kind to them. It was an old couple, a sweet old couple took in Zeus and Hermes. They treated them with hospitality and kindness. And when the gods got angry, they were so angry at everybody in this town that, that they just decimated it. You know, these two, according to their, their myth, these two gods came down to earth, destroyed the entire town, wiped out the entire population, except for this couple, except for these two people, except for this old couple. And the crowd from Lystra, they were not going to let this happen again. You know, at this point, they didn't have to understand the language. They could very clearly see that the crowd was getting ready to worship them and to offer sacrifices. I just kind of wonder, how would you respond if, you know, people started treating you like a god? I mean, you know, just a few chapters ago, we met King Herod and King Herod loved it. I mean, he saw himself as a God and he wanted people to see him as a God. He loved it. He loved the fame. He loved the wealth. He loved the adoration. He loved the food. He loved everything about it. And he demanded people to, to worship him. He loved and demanded all that came from being treated like a God. But not Paul and Barnabas. Check this out. The apostles Barnabas and Paul, they tore their robes when they heard this and they rushed into the crowd. Like they were, they were disgusted. But Paul was quick on his feet. You know, Paul quickly changed his approach, but he has to, right? I mean, he has to change his approach because these people are just very different than the people he has come in contact with before. Have you ever tried telling people, hey, the Bible says, when they really don't believe in the Bible, they don't trust the Bible, they don't think it's a good source of accurate information? Paul realizes we can't start there. We can't start with the infallible word of God because these people, they just don't get it. They don't know it. They haven't heard it. You know, when you look at, at these people and, and, and the way that they were living, they're, they're really not in a bad place. They're, they're just living worthless lives. They're living lives without worth and without cause. You know, it's not like they were hopeless. They just had their hope in the wrong things. You know, Paul wants to unleash hope. He wants to unleash the hope of Jesus in their lives. So, so he changes his approach by meeting them where they are and appealing to what they know. Here's what he says as they shout. People, why are you doing these things? He's like, why are you bringing sacrifices out to, to me and to, to Barnabas? Why are you doing that? We're people. You, you, he and I, we're just people just like you. And we're proclaiming the good news. Here it is. He's changing up his approach. He's sharing the same good news, but he's, he's leading with a different part of it. He says, I'm proclaiming the good news to you that you should turn from, from these worthless things, all of these idols, the things that you're sacrificing to, the way that you're living, the way that you're trying to worship me, turn from these worthless things and you get to turn to a living God. And now the crowd, they're at least listening at this point. This was a, a crowd that, you know, they worshiped many gods. I mean, they were worshiping so many gods. And they were like, well, hey, here's what, let me, let's listen to what he has to say. He's, he's offering an opportunity for us to hear and know about another God. And so they listen. This is actually the very first time in Acts 
where we see this foreign culture that's really not connected to any measure of scripture. There's, they, they, he just can't lean on the Bible says. He's got to start with something brand new. You know, these aren't God-fearing Jews. These are people who are far from God. They've never heard of God. In some ways, it's a lot like Des Moines. I mean, there are people all over Des Moines, far from God, who wouldn't appreciate a conversation starting off with the Bible says or with all of your evidence coming from Scripture if they don't value Scripture. And, you know, whether you realize it or not, Des Moines, it's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of idol worship happening around here. There, there are people, without really knowing it, worship their jobs, they, they worship their families, they worship their finances, uh, they worship things that bring them popularity and status. So Paul has to shift his approach. And instead of reminding these people of the scriptures that they really don't know nor value, he, he points to general revelation. You know, every good thing that these people are experiencing came from God. And that's something they could understand. But let's, let's keep reading. So he asked them to turn from their worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. He also says in the, in the past, generations were allowed uh, all the nations to go on their own way. Although... He didn't leave himself without witness since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruit from seasons and, and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Do you see all that Paul is doing? He just starts listing out all of these amazing things that are general revelation, things that reveal God that these people are loving and enjoying and celebrating. He, he says, look at everything that you get to experience that is fulfilling he says, that's actually evidence of God, the living God. And let me just list them out for you. Evidence of the living God. He says, you, you know the heaven, uh, the earth, the sea, every single created thing living in them. And the rain, your crops enjoy it. The seasons that you get to go through, the food that you get to eat. Are you kidding me? When you eat bacon, how do you think that there's not a God? It's amazing. And the joy that you get to experience, like this is clear and, and it's kind of a, a radical shift in his approach. You know, this is all from the creator. That's what he's saying. This is all from the creator, the living God. And even though the crowds in Lystra have not acknowledged the living God, they do appreciate all of the things that he has provided. You know, there's no denying that they enjoy all of these things. You know, Paul's not appealing to something that's unfamiliar or irrelevant. He's meeting them where they are. Paul meets them where they are and he comes alongside them, takes something from their culture and context and he shows and connects that to the living God. Uh, he's getting to the point of uh, their need for Jesus. Here's an interesting observation. You know, these people, they, they weren't hopeless. You know, these people aren't miserable. They don't, they don't hate their lifestyle. They just had their hope in the wrong things. Life was good in this town. You know, they had wealth, they had food, they had seasons. Scripture says they had joy. You know, Paul takes all of those things and he points out that every good and perfect thing that you have and are experiencing, it's actually from God. You know, the, these aren't clues to figure out that God is real. Paul is letting everybody know that all of these things are evidence that God is real. You know, Romans 1.20 echoes what Paul is sharing. For since the creation of the world, since the beginning of time, 
God's invisible qualities. What are those qualities? His eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. From the beginning of time, we should just know that God exists. It should just be clear how. Being understood, we can understand that um, from what has been made so that men are without excuse. When you and I see the heaven, you know, the sky, when we see the earth, when we see uh, the sea and everything in it, when we experience rain and food and seasons and joy, when you and I, when we look at how impossible and amazing our bodies are, they're way too amazing for just a cosmic accident. How a female can grow another human inside of her. All of that, it's, it's witness. It's witness of a living God. Verse 18, look at this. Even though they said these things, even though Paul and Barnabas are kind of confronting them, they barely stop the crowds from making sacrifices to them. Like this feels like a win, right? I mean, it feels like a win. And it, and it is a win here a little bit, but it means losing in the next verse. You know, Paul, he spoke so well, but, but the crowds were not immediately convinced. These people needed a little more time they needed a little more time and compassion. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, they immediately uh, had common ground with people who were in the temples. But here, these were unbelievers. Like they needed to do a little more work. Some Jews came from Antioch and Lyconium. And when they won over the crowds, these people hated Paul and Barnabas so much, they tracked them down into this new city. They stirred up the crowds. They did it in chapter four. They're doing it again with a new crowd and a new town. And they stoned Paul. Then they dragged him out of the city. Like, here's what I know. When you and I, when we're sharing our faith, we're gonna experience opposition and hardship. Jesus said there will be suffering in this world. And not everybody will love what you say, but I promise you this, not everybody will stone you either. We'll keep reading. Uh, after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and he went back into the town. Are you kidding me? And the next day, then they left. They left the next day, but he, he got up and he went back in. Paul is one of the most successful leaders in the history of church. You know, he went through some tough things and everything that he went through, it didn't always feel like a win. It didn't feel like, and in fact, some of the, the time, like Paul must have been discouraged and it was some of the biggest losses in the, like you just would have such a heavy heart and be so discouraged sometimes. He shook the dust off of his feet. He would move on to another town. The mobs, they were chasing him. Jews were coming 20 miles away to find him so that they could put an end to him and his ministry. And then he's being stoned. Are you kidding me? Like, like losing is discouraging, but Paul doesn't give up. Paul understands the win. It's, it's so incredibly important for you to understand the win, for you to clarify the win. And actually, Paul clarifies the win. I love this. One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. Do you see the win in here? The win isn't closing the deal. The win isn't conversion. I mean, that's the celebration. But the win is being faithful. The win is being faithful with our seed planting and with watering. You and I, we exist to worship God, but we exist to, you know, plant and water. My job in the lighting aisle at Walmart, it, it wasn't to close the deal. 
You know, my job was to plant seeds and water seeds. That's, that's what I was there to do. You know, people who followed Jesus exist to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That's, that's why our approach is so incredibly important. You know, we don't exist to close the deal. You and I exist to plant seeds and water seeds, plant seeds and water seeds. And, and as we get to know people, as we get to know their world, we understand their context, it's gonna look a little different with every person. There's not a one size fits all gospel presentation. There is one Jesus, there is one God, there is one gospel, but there's not a one size fits all gospel presentation. So as I'm standing there in the lighting aisle at Walmart, having a conversation about light bulbs and life, this guy asks me what I do for a living. And, and I say, uh, ah, I'm a pastor. And in my head, I'm thinking, I guess we're done here. He says, really? Where? I was surprised at his response. And, and, and I told them both. I explained them what I did. I explained to them where I worked. And I asked them, do you guys go to church anywhere? And the guy was like, oh, no. <laughs> so I invited him to our church. I said, you, you could come to my church anytime. And uh, he said, yeah, maybe sometime. Uh, he said, but hey, I'm just curious. Do you have do you have a business card? I never have business cards. Are you kidding me? I, I mean, like I've got a stack of them, but they're never on me unless I'm going to a restaurant that has a bowl that I know I can drop it in to earn a free sandwich. Like I'll bring a business card. There. But, but it was so weird. I just pulled out my wallet, figuring I didn't have one. Today I had one. And I said, yeah, I've got a business card. What's up? He said, like I told you earlier, like we're, we're not married, but we might be someday. And I might need a guy like you in my life when that time comes. And I said, you can call me anytime. I would love to do coffee with you, have a conversation. And, and then he and his girlfriend, they just slipped away. I don't know where that couple is at on their journey. And I am probably never going to know on this side of eternity. But my hope is that, you know, a single act of obedience, that, that kind, loving, shepherding conversation. I just hope that, that maybe, maybe that turned into a miracle down the road. A miracle of transformation. Here's a miracle that many of us have seen from 2 Corinthians 5.17. Scripture says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. Transformation from the old you to being new in Christ, it's a miracle. It's a supernatural miracle that happens inside of us. And we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I just can't help but assume somebody here might need a little bit of encouragement with an opportunity to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And I would say this, John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That verse says that God loved, God gave. If you believe, you receive. God loved you so much that he gave his son as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sins. Somebody has to pay for it. Jesus says, I'm willing to. That if you believe in the resurrection, if you believe in the person of Jesus, you receive everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to wonder. 
I'm just gonna pray with us right now. Would you, uh, wherever you are, bow your heads and close your eyes. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the gift of salvation through Jesus. Thank you for many people of Valley Church who are willing to take a risk and work on an approach to reach those who are not yet following you. God, give us encouragement. Give us, give us wisdom. Uh, and for any of those on the other side of this camera who put their faith and trust in you, I ask that you would bring encouragement to them, that you would help them celebrate and share, that they would tell somebody. But most of all, you would be glorified in their lives and they would, they would go give that away. All for your glory, Lord. We love you and we're thankful for today. In Christ's name. Amen. I'll say this. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus today, uh, you've got to contact us. We want you to know about our baptism services that are coming up very soon. Uh, and if there are those of you who are watching who've been Christians for any amount of time and you haven't been baptized yet, uh, why don't you send an email to pray at valley.church and somebody will reach out to you, connect with you, and let you know how you can take that next step of faith. Love you guys.